Guys, it's episode three, season two of A Positive Jam. We are taking a deep dive into what is easily my favorite song on the album, and uh, a song that may not need much adjudication from the, from the three of us. I'm Sean Westfall. I'll be your host for this episode, which focuses on uh, your little hood rat friend. I'll be joined by Mike Taylor. Hi. And Dan Schwartzman. Hi, guys. And so we're all here. We were talking before we actually hit the record button on this episode. And we were just sort of, we all came to the same conclusion that that this is one of those songs where kind of what you see is what you get. There really isn't much, let me, let me put it this way. The text is the text. There isn't really much subtext here. And I think there's a reason for that that I could go into either now or later, but I'd want to open it up to uh, you guys. Just tell me what you think. Yeah, I think Sean is right that one of the main things to note about this song, I mean, when we put together the Hold Steady Starter Kit playlist, we included this song on there. And I think a reason for that is because it's one of the more accessible songs in the Hold Steady's catalog. I told a story there of my early career, failed career as a paralegal at a corporate litigation firm where one of the partners was a fan of the Hold Steady. And one of the associates I was working for was heard that the partner was a Hold Steady fan. And one day when I was walking past the associate's office, I heard Little Hood Rat Friend playing on the speakers of the computer. And so to me, it's that's that speaks, I think, to its accessibility and also to its sort of status as a Maybe you wouldn't totally like the hold steady or you might have ulterior reasons for blaring the song out of your office speakers. But so I think that kind of gets into like what Sean said, maybe a little bit more direct in terms of the lyrics and the content and a little bit more straightforward from a structural perspective, a little more verse chorus verse here. I still think it's a great song and there are some real sort of I don't know if do you guys tear up when you're listening to the whole study or get kind of emotional a little bit? Because that oh, happens God. to me at, at certain times and that happens to me during this song. So I'll just make myself vulnerable uh, about that and say that I got like moved by this song. And so, yeah, maybe there's something to like, maybe there's not a lot to disassemble, but there is something to that sort of evocativeness. Speaking of getting teary-eyed, that happens to me on Lord I'm Discouraged when Tad Solo takes over. I just, I'm, I'm a mess. I have to be mopped up off the floor because it's, it's, just, it's just so moving to me. But this song too, it, I don't get teary-eyed, but I do get very, very moved by this song. Yeah, so Dan, you, you were starting to say something as well. We talked on the previous episodes about how there's much more of a fuller musical effort and it was occurring to me as i was listening to the song there's more budget right there's more mm-hmm. muscle financial muscle to be able to spend time in the studio to be able to bring in people and we were talking with emily harris at the end of last season and she pointed out a musical friend pointed out oh yeah that's the chord progression that'll jerk tears out of you and there's some of that to this song in terms of using classic rock and roll elements to elicit a musical or an emotional reaction. The most obvious, which we also brought up last season, is the chorus and the idea of a chorus 
I remember a friend in college who was a better musician than me. I would argue his his taste veered more towards the cold plays and Jack Johnson's of the world. So I will leave it at that. Kind of a waste of good musicianship. <laughs> but he made the point that indie music, so-called, will often have a chorus with changing words. So you'll have a musical hook, but not a repetitive hook to sing along to. And then more mainstream, you'll repeat the hook. And I think I've read interviews where Craig talks about the same, a producer telling him, like, look, you've got a lot of words. Sometimes you repeat them, people hold on to them. And that extended to the point where the whole said he would just throw in woes and sounds to hang on to. But that's just the case here. It's I ain't never been with your little hood rat friend. He repeats it in this song breaks into a lot of the same building blocks over and over. So that's one thing that elicits reaction. And then there's also things like the, I don't remember what the term for it is. It's in a piano, it's where you slide down the piano and the guitar, it's similar. There's They do a little like revving guitar sound to go out of the bridge or out of the pre-chorus into the chorus. And it's really, that's like, I don't feel um, the same sorts of emotions, but in terms of the adrenaline that comes from the way they structure that. So yeah, I think that's right there on the surface. Yeah, both of you are talking about the ways in which the song is accessible. And Mike, you used that word earlier. I don't think that I would be a Hold Steady fan had I not heard this song, meaning that this was the first album I listened to. And Hornets, Hornets was interesting. And Cattle and the Creeping Things, we talked about that last week, how I, I did and kind of still bump up against that song. But when I heard this song, I was in. I was in. And if we look at all the songs on this album, this is the really the only one that could be a... I'm sure the A&R guy said, guys, it's a great, you need a single. You need a single. You have to have a single. What's the single on this on this album? And obviously, this is the obvious clear choice for a single because it's standalone. You could, you could take this song out of the whole steady universe. And, it, I mean, you know, if the whole steady had only released this album and no other albums, this song would make the list of like best songs of the, of the early aughts, right? It would make, now that's what I call music. You know, it would make, it, it'd be one of those songs that would sit alongside Stacy's mom or, or, you know, as those, those cool songs from the early aughts that we all love, Har- Harvey Danger, Flagpole, Sitta, right? It was, it, we, we could see a, uh, oh shit, what's the word I'm looking for? We throw a bunch of songs together uh, as emblematic of, you know, yeah, compilation. It, yeah. Thank you very much. Why, why is compilation escaping me today? But yeah, you, you could see a compilation al- album or a compilation list being sold somewhere back when we actually sold CDs and this song would make it. Because it, it it is it captures something that's emblematic of the early aughts. Having this guy describe this girl, we've all met that girl or her, her analog somewhere. We know who this woman is. We know who this crazy young scenester hipster chick is. We we've all met her. And this song, I'm rambling here, but it's the, the accessibility of it turned me. If I had not heard this song, I wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast today, because it's just it's. It's their answer to train in vain. <laughs> it's the song that 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 the clash threw on at the end of London Calling because and we're embarrassed to throw it on. If it's if you know about this that that album, it's not I didn't listed. Know that. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so unlisted. Train, it sounded too poppy. It sounded way too poppy. This is their train in vain. This is their 
okay, we'll throw the outlier kids. That's something the stand to- by me. No, not at all. Exactly. Dun, right, dun, right. 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 Dun, 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 dun. It's That's only it, one right? thing I can say. Is that one. <laughs> yeah. Stand by yes. Me. Yeah. This is their train in vain. And in fact, I I can see a situation in which there was a discussion in which Craig said, let's leave it. Let's not name it. Let's just leave. Let's, oh, let's pull a class. Yeah. 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 So that's why that's why it's it, to me, there isn't really much subtext. It's so accessible that you you get it immediately. You, in fact, if you go on genius.com, which I know, Mike, you're it's open of, right now. In the tab in my, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's I mean, right here. I mean the, the citations aren't really all that elucidating because there really isn't that much to elucidate. There really isn't much to to clarify. You sort of get it immediately. But I want to, first of all, if there was a rhino compilation of the the mid-aughts, I would would love to see what that actually looked like because I don't remember, you know, remember watching daytime TV in the 90s and having those like sounds of the 60s, sounds of the 70s. And it was like, even at age like, you know, my early teens or 10 years old or whatever, I kind of knew that that was a little embarrassing, you know, cause they're kind of like these songs that are like not really cool or your, your parents probably weren't really fans of them or whatever, like Chevy van by that guy. I don't know. Sammy Johns, Sammy Johns, John, Chevy van. Chevy van. That's right. They're like, 80% of the songs on those commercials, I just know the five second clips from right, the commercials right. and that's it. Right, right. Anyway, it would be kind of fun if if Rhino could somehow muster up the desire to put like, I don't know, dead leaves on the dirty ground by the white stripes and, and right. some yeah, what? Three yeah, yeah, yeah songs. And um that friend oh, the modest mouse and Franz Ferdinand yeah, yeah. duo where it's like the same song, part two by a different band. Anyway. That's a big digression. The response, the other response to Sean I wanted to throw out there is that the text, there's not much subtext. I think you're right. I do think structurally the song is really sharp and well put together. And I think it's like a well executed pop song organizationally, like rhetorically, the idea that I've been through these horrifically bad experiences. I've been probed by the police. I'd, I was out of my skull on dust. I slept outside and was shivering and half dead, but I've done a lot of bad things, but I've never had sex with your friend. Right. Which would be like (laughs) so much worse than all of that stuff. That's a really great setup punchline structure. I also think that the dynamics here are are fantastic. And I mentioned before that I got teary eyed. I was on the genius and it's some nice little bus wouldn't even stop. There was just too many kids, not those words. But the way it's so quiet in that bridge section, and then it comes back to that familiar progression, that loudness, that insistent pounding, I get, I get on board. And I think I get on board with that idea of kids like taking over a part of town, taking over a night and getting mixed up in that way. So maybe it's an example of where a song doesn't have to be lyrically complex or structurally innovative to still be really effective that's kind of where where i am on this i i I think the lyrical complexity comes from the clear obvious ambiguity of the narrator he keeps insisting i've never been with your hood rat friend i love she makes me sick and yet he she can quote verbatim what she says he can go into great detail about what she looks like 
how she what her she keeps looks calling like. him what yeah, woman no matter how desperate no matter how sort of in the weeds no matter how in love what woman is calling a man repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly that just never maybe it just never happened to me but i think that <laughs> never happens she's been calling me again it's like this is the second time that she's been like repeatedly calling me does that ever happen if they haven't been together at least once i don't think uh, so yeah so i think exactly, he's right. like answering his own question what makes you think that it's like right. you're, that's all you're talking about in this song. Exactly, it's right. like exactly you're what this. Yeah, you're yeah. obsessed this song with should yeah. be, it. Should the chorus should go? This is what makes you think I'm getting with your little hood rat friend. <laughs> right, 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 right. Dan, tell us what you're thinking. I think the bridge is the emotional center. I think it does what some of the best hold steady. There are a few themes of the hold steady, right? The drinking and the drugs, the Catholic themes. And I think the scene and anytime they use scene, it's a, a cue to that talking about music and talking about loving music and not just the songs, but getting into it. And the idea of which I think as we discussed last season, city center is actually a mall in the, in Minneapolis, but there's those six lines gets this energy of nights were so crazy that there would be just too many kids on the bus. But then also this nostalgia that young kids and people, Craig, everybody feels, but you're in your early thirties. Craig Finn is at the time of writing this. And also just as a kid in high school, you're always feeling nostalgia. I just thought that's what's really exciting. And then for that to then they rev that those guitars up. And I don't think, anybody has written as euphorious a set of music for lyrics about full body cavity searches being right. conducted. <laughs> and so there's like a real, that we talked about the first time Sean, you were on the podcast with sweet pain, that sort of juxtaposition of sunny music and dark lyrics. And I think that was really, oh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I just think there's a lot of, I like the penetration park line. There's, Hurts, but it's worth it is one of my favorite lines in the whole city. And it's one of the I used I remember in high school and college, I wrestled and I used to have I think somebody else described it this way to me, a Catholic view of if I suffer enough, I will succeed. Like there was sort Mm -hmm, of an equation that went into it. And she says it hurts, but it's worth it to me is like summation of that, even if she's talking about tattoos, it's this. If we suffer, maybe that I feel like that's vaguely Calvinist too, which coming from New England, maybe that's part of it. But yeah, so that's yeah. I mean, there's it's I guess what we're all getting at. The music is straight line, but effective. And the lyrics are there are some references. The Kladuk ring. I had never Mm -hmm. until looking at the lyrics, I had never known what that was. But it is stuff that's more surface. Jesus lived and died up for all your sins. You don't need to know very much to know what that's getting at. And so I guess that's, but it's still effective. And, and it, it pairs well with a couple other songs on the album. And so I think it's yeah. a nice stop and a nice rounding off of the trio of first songs. Mike, you're looking wistful. Mike is on camera looking wistful. Talk to us, Mike. 
<laughs> I'm so uh wistful. I well, you know, sure. There's a little we've especially in season one, we talked a little bit about Craig Finn's sort of the dynamic between the men and women in the in the lyrics of the whole study and the sort of positioning. And this is one of one of the early songs that focuses or has involves deeply involves a woman, but it's like a pretty dismissive portrayal. What do you think is Hoodrat? I don't know. I feel like it comes up later in how resurrection really feels, right? He, mm, there's a right. reveal. There's a re- spoiler alert for anyone who's waiting <laughs> to listen to the song until they've heard heard the podcast. That Holly was a hood rat. Now you finally know that. I feel like it's like it's a weird choice. Like I know Craig in interviews said that he was his lyricism is inspired by hip hop, especially sort of structurally and looking for interesting compound rhymes. And hood rat, I think of as being. My introduction to that word was in the Cash Money Millionaires Project Bitch song from 2000. I think it was Project Chick on the radio. This was a huge song. It got a lot of play. And then it comes up again here. And um, Craig is white and he's not a rapper. But I think he kind of retakes that word. And it means something a little bit more sympathetic, I think, in his, his use than in in project bitch for example (laughs) i think the title sort of tells you i think yeah and always being both must be a drag it's this ambivalence again between attraction and repulsion that's yeah i mean that's the center of the song so right 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 that's i was thinking of the hood my hood rats of your you know my past hood rats of my own experience and that's where the wistfulness maybe comes in you you just said that Craig wasn't a rapper. There are some who might argue that Craig's speak sing way of getting through his songs, of phrasing his songs, might sort of delve into rap. Then there are others who'd say, Sean, you just pull that out of your ass. But then, you know, here we are. I, I, I don't see Hood Rat as being necessarily something that has to come from rap tunes. I, I think that it, you know, that that when I have a clear picture of this woman, because We've all met this woman. We've all met this underage chick who's at all the shows, who got into drugs and sex probably a little earlier than she should have, who literally wears her rebelliousness on her clothes and on her skin, you know, who, who if she does have, you know, the, the, a scarlet letter of some sort, it's one that she placed there herself. She, you know, she, Jesus lived and died for all your sins. Damn right, I'll rise again. And hood rat, the word hood, like hoodie, you know, I could, I could just see this hoodie skater chick hanging out with the skaters. And that gets mentioned. It, it's interesting how through the various sort of uh, lyrical snowflakes that he drops throughout the entire album, you get a really clear picture of this woman. And I don't think it's any accident. She's called her parents named her Hallelujah, but we all call her Holly. I, she has so much in common with a lot of other Hollies, like Holly Go Lightly in Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany. She's that girl. There are Holly analogs throughout rock lyrics and throughout poetry and throughout literature. We feel like we know this woman, even though we have these sort of descriptions of her scattered throughout and we're sort of piecing it together. But once we piece it together, 
she makes up this sort of mythical whole that that we sort of completely and utterly understand. So, yeah, an archetype. Archetype. Thank you very. That's thank you. As and, and uh, Northrop Fry, who I've mentioned on this podcast, would actually I, I agree with you there that she is an archetype. Absolutely. Hood rat. I I tried to just find the etymology and look it up in the see if it's in the Oxford English Dictionary. I'm not sure whether it is or not, but I came across a oh powered by Oxford lexico.com hood rat a young person especially a woman who lives in or comes from a deprived inner city area and is regarded as disreputable or sexually promiscuous cool right we all kind of agree with that origin 1990s earliest use found in philadelphia tribune interesting geographic origin i think given that philly has a real blend of different types of urban poverty and a racial composition, so on. I found a Philly Tribune article whose headline is Some Hood Rat Traits Are Hard to Exercise in Real Life or in Life. And then it goes, it's basically just a humor column that's like, you might be a hood rat if, and then it has all these, like, you use this word to describe things. If you were born in the sticks, or you think that suburban Philadelphia is the country, then you're a hood rat. That's where hood rat comes from, as far as we as far as we know. It comes from Philadelphia in the 90s, and it has this kind of multivalent cultural thing as maybe it's not totally owned by rap. It's not totally owned no. by rock. It's like you can be white trash and be a hood rat. You can be any race and be a hood rat, as long as you're kind of live the hood rat life of being like a needy and promiscuous and sort of sad, impoverished. That was a big comedy genre or format in the 90s, huh? You might be a... Yeah, you I might mean, be a red now. I mean, yeah. that's Jeff Foxworthy's career right there. Right, right, And right. Larry the Cable Guy, like... That's right. A lot of You a might lot be of a violation. Cable Guy? What was... No, Larry the Cable <laughs> Guy was also playing on those stereotypes. If you installed a file system... <laughs> You just might be a cable guy. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, drive around in a truck all day. You just <laughs> might be a cable guy. I like this bit. That's good. It's not too late. It's not too late for me. Bring it back. We may need my desire to get us through all of this. I think it's worth remembering that the hold steady. We talked about the heaviest stuff ain't at its heaviest when it gets out of suburban Minneapolis. We talked about clever kids, which will come up soon. I think there's I I do have an archetype in mind for who Holly is, who this little hood rat chick is. And it is somebody I see her as a white girl from the suburbs who's like kind of hanging out with a rougher crowd and she's got a ponytail and she's kind of, you know, and I, I don't want to ponytail. I, All right. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what I see. I don't want to yeah, okay. describe because I feel like I will. <laughs> Take That's, a wrong step somewhere in this, but it's a good I, choice. Yeah, I think it's a good choice. I'm picturing, you know, having I'm picturing again the wrestling world and sort of the the girls who would be hanging out at wrestling tournaments or whatever. Not the competitors. This is in a earlier era where there were fewer mixed gender tournaments. So yeah, I I see it, and I think it's that sort of again a lot of the hold steady is about these kids who. Sort of the way you describe your fascination, Mike, are not necessarily of this world, but plunge themselves into it because they want to be in that world of the drugs, of the penetration park, and so forth. If I was a girl, I would have been a hood rat. 
at various times <laughs> in my life. There's another Damn right, you're right. They don't again. have guy hood rats, I don't think. They just. Oh, I, I think they do. Okay, then I was a hood rat at various yeah, points I, in my life. Yeah, then. Yeah. The hoodie rats ain't quite at their hoodiest. <laughs> By the time they get out to suburban Minneapolis, is that what you're saying, Dan? I thought you were going to throw Milwaukee in to make it closer home, but yeah, that's basically oh. what a Milwaukee is suburban oh, Minneapolis or, or suburban Boston. For that matter. Yeah. Again, I hostile mass fits into you could see you could see kids near Lynn, Massachusetts doing this stuff too. One thing musically that I think is interesting. First of all, keyboards are for the first time not they're there obviously, but they don't seem like a driving. They don't stand out quite as much to me when I think about the song as the guitar does. And we talk about the keyboards and guitar a lot. I was just thinking something worth calling out. We missed mentioning last episode. The drums on Cat on the Creeping Things are off the hook. Always solid drumming. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the first song that has a backing singer for Craig. And I find Craig's backing singers in general... Those the singers are fine. The songs tend to not it's usually not a good sign for the song. Chill out tent magazines. Those are among my least favorite told steady songs. But here it, it works very well. I guess the woman who backs him is Nicole Wills, who has an album. Looks like she might have been more of a country oriented uh, singer back in the 2000s. I don't. Not a ton on her in quick Google search, but yeah, just something. First time we're hearing somebody else's voice. And Craig's, he's, I guess you would call this singing, like actual singing in the chorus at least. He's actually hitting notes. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to call that out because that's, and when I try to think about why it is, it might be that the sorts of songs that they bring backing singers on aren't great fits, but it also might be that when you have somebody whose voice is like Craig Finn, it's tough to kind of put in other voices and not make them sound cheesy. Leonard Cohen purposefully often the backing singers would be not cheesy, but like more ornate to contrast with his baritone. Right. Yeah. So I just thought that was worthy of note. I like it. I really like it on this one. I it's like a counterpoint to his roughness. And also it sounds derisive in its own way. It sounds contemptuous. The, uh, Nicole Willis's delivery, I think, is sounds dismissive as well, and she hits little hood rat friend really. In a in a in a kind of angry, annoyed sounding way that I think does something interesting when it's a woman doing that together with. Craig. I don't know. Maybe that they don't like each other, but they're stuck. I don't know. It adds a layer of a fun layer and counterpoint, I think. Yeah. And also the the sort of the gendered thing that's happening. We were talking, are there boyhood rats? You know, this female voice could be <laughs> saying you, look, the same thing. I've never been with your hood rat friend, right? So yeah, there's that too. There are boyhood rats. I learned something today. We've that's answered right. that question, I think. <laughs> And I'm and, and, dis- and disappointed to learn that I that I am an example. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, you've got a song about you, Mike. 
That's exciting. That's yeah, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is this the point where we go through and list our sort of like last last few takeaways and highlights? Oh, or, yeah. Or what did we call nuggets? that? Yeah. What? Why do we <laughs> closing, closing nuggets? nuggets. Clo closing Close, nuggets. Closing nuggets. Closing nuggets. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> so here, here, I'll I'll go first. The song I think this hints at is sort of what I would argue is the climax of the of the album. As if you think the album, not to give away my thoughts fully, but the first three songs kind of are a one, two, three punch, really strong together. Very different sorts of songs. And then to me, there are a few, there are a couple other peaks, including the last song of the album. But this song to me foreshadows Stevie Nicks, which I would argue is sort of the climax of the album, specifically in the verse about being 17 and stuck up in Osseo and gets troubled by still water and washed up in the Mississippi River. Like we're starting to, again, the geography is stepping up. We're in the suburbs. We're in all, you know, the headwaters, essentially, not quite, but almost of the Mississippi River. And also the, this is the song that, and they will ultimately do, they may never get this poppy, actually, again, but they will ultimately form, Craig is form-fitting his songwriting and the bands collaborating with him, the songwriting into the most standard structure they can. And Stevie Nicks is a little bit messier, but yeah, that's, that's just when I was thinking of what this looks ahead towards That's sort of your preview there. And the other nugget I had was just coming out of the guitar solo at the end of cat on the creeping things the way if you listen to this on headphones, you pick up this song starts with Craig Finn going <sighs> with a little bit yeah. of breath. And that's kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, your little hood right front makes me sick. But after I get sick, you gotta listen to nice. it with headphones. That's right. <gasps> and so it I'm gives just gonna start doing that now. <laughs> it gives that little <laughs> I think that's also part of when you're talking about the emotional pull. The narrator is very much in this song, and there's something about people who are struggling on the surface. And even though it's a very major key, joyous song, it's very direct. And there's you don't need to think hard to figure out what's going on. And I think that's what makes it effective. If the whole steady was only this, like I can, I don't remember thinking, oh, the whole city are selling out with this song, but I could see somebody thinking that. But if they were only this, would be a problem. But I think here it works really well and it helps propel the album. Just, just to quickly connect your sort of Craig Finn breath to to the concept album world, Pink Floyd's "The Wall." Right before the song "Mother" starts, you hear someone go, <gasps> "Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb?" So just. <laughs> We're in concept album world. I I have I bet that that was done consciously to say, "Yep, hey, concept album guys, check it out." There's a lot of breathing on concept albums. That's right. There's a lot of breathing on albums, guys. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, we try we try to take it off the podcast, but yes, breathing is important. Yeah, there's breathing on this podcast too. It's true. That's right. It's a, con it's a right. concept podcast. My nugget is. Because I'm born to be broke, hearts to be heartbroken, and always being both must be a drag. That, writing-wise, was just like, 
I, I couldn't do that. I feel like it's really cleverly constructed, broken, heartbroken, match each other. All the bees. I love when Craig strings a bunch of bees together, like back in a bar band, baby. And then always being both must be a drag is like, it's bad. It's bad. It's really, really bad. Those are the words I would have put in there instead um, of what Craig Finn did. Because I can't, because this is like one of those, like I was a, I studied poetry in college. I tried to write lyrical verse. And this was one of those like three lines in a row where I was like, I would never be able to do that. That's really great work. Yeah. So yeah, chapeau Finn for that. That's my nugget. I think it also, it, it ties back in. Like that's all very straightforward stuff. It's not subtextual, but it's really direct and it's really concise and it's really well put together. My nugget is kind of the one that made me just like love the song and realize that it was actually doing something more. And then eventually realize that this album was doing something a lot more than I had had initially bargained for. Verse three, tiny little text. Tiny little text. Asked into her neck and said, Jesus lived and died for all your sins. She's got blue black ink and it's scratched into her lower back. Says, damn right, I'll rise again. Yeah, damn, damn right, I'll rise again. When I saw that, I go, oh, okay. Or when I heard that, I went, oh, okay. We're getting into sort of the mythos of symbology and, and resurrection and th- things like that. Yeah, that just made me love the song. I just went, okay, yeah. I, now I'm gonna really going to dive deep into this album. Well, and just to, it's, she says, damn right, I'll rise again. And then, yeah, damn right, you'll, she'll you'll rise, rise again. Rise again, yeah, yeah. And so there's that narrator steps back in. And this is just, this is like, as far as singing along, like this, yeah, I agree with you. That, yeah, damn right, she'll rise again. There's like something, something about using damn there and something about the repetition because they we talked about repetition as far as a chorus but here it's used and there's a lot in the lines mike referred to there's he ends of line on sick and then after i get sick there's a lot of that consonance and repetition of words and yeah and that's like a really affirmative again you take it out of all context it's like yeah fist pumping without caring and that's i think it's great when a song works on that level even before you have to dig deeper and understand, well, wait, what is he talking about? Right, 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 right. And it's fun that it's a message of hope inscribed on a tramp stamp. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. The people who are going to see that are going to be really inspired. <laughs> so, yeah, the, this song is is the gateway drug for the whole study for me. It's just you you get to the song and and you realize that the, the band is much more sophisticated than you probably gave it credit for initially. And the songs are much more sophisticated than your average run-of-the-mill, even aspirational alternative pop song or alternative rock song. You know you're dealing with a highly intelligent lyricist when you, when you come across verses like that. So, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> I think we've come to the end of this episode of A Positive Jam, season two, episode three. We'll be looking at what's next on the track list, guys. I, 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 banging Camp. I, banging Camp. That's right. We'll be looking at Banging Camp next week. So join <laughs> us. <laughs> join us again. Join me and Dan and Mike 
then. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for listening as always. All song rights belong to the artists. Nicole Wells appears to have been an 80s recording artist rather than a country artist, but I'm still not 100% sure that's the same Nicole Wells. Any details on her or any other feedback? Hit us up on Twitter at at Sean Westfall, at M. Brooks Taylor, or at Daniel Shortman, or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Leave us a review if you can on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for your support, and see you at the banging camp.